Welcome to the WPC Sermon Podcast from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. This week's sermon is from Head Pastor Owen Stepp, titled, What's in a Name? and is part of our sermon series, Questions for the Church. To find more information on our worship services and live stream, check out our website, westminstercharlotte.org. Now enjoy this week's message from Pastor Owen. The scripture reading this morning comes um, from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus in Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, in a lot of ways, I've told some of you as we've met over the last month or so, that this is, it feels like a second beginning almost for me here in, at Westminster in Charlotte, with everyone kind of back together and we can actually see one another's faces and we can have meals together and coffee and really get to know one another. It, it's like we're starting again uh, in our arrival here. And it comes at a good time in this summer because we're really ramping up and really discerning who God is calling us to be going forward. It's kind of good that we've had an opportunity to live together for now nine months uh, to get an idea. You have some idea, a little bit at least, of who I am, maybe for better or worse. But I've become to understand more about the Westminster family and the people who make it up in this era. And so for this month, one of the things that uh, I am doing in our sermon series is asking some questions, asking some questions about the church, uh, particularly Westminster Presbyterian Church. So last week we asked the question, what will we do with the freedom God has given us? This week we're going to talk about what's in a name and engaging our work in mission partnerships. Next week is entitled, what are we doing on Sunday morning? We're going to talk about worship. And the final week of the month will be, are we keeping our promises? Talking about primarily children and student and family ministries here at the church at Westminster. How are we living up to the promises that we make at baptism? And so as we walk through these days together, we're figuring out things about each other and really, I think, being self-reflective in a way of where we are today in 2021 in Charlotte, North Carolina, on the corner of Randolph and Colville, why God has planted this church here for this season of life. This week's question is to consider some of the names that we give to the ministry areas of our church, and names are important, aren't they? They not only reflect what outsiders think of an organization or a brand, but they also give a certain sense of identity or self-understanding for those who are inside. Think about the corporate world and how this works, from the renaming of stadiums all around baseball and football and colleges as well. But even uh, companies like what used to be Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC. What used to be Dunkin' Donuts is just Dunkin' now. 
We're not just donuts, we're lots of other stuff that can kill you too. There's, a, there's an aspect that it tells us something about what's going on and gives us a different perception, they hope, of what we are, what we are going to participate in. Case in point, some of you know by now that I, I drive a, a, a beautiful minivan. I am a minivan driving dad. And some people look at that and they just say, hey, nice minivan, which is great. But one of our neighbors in Atlanta then nicknamed the van, and she called it the Swagger Wagon. And I was like, that's much better, the Swagger Wagon. And our youngest, Sarah, who's the three-year-old that was sitting up here on the steps this morning, she has taken to saying when I'm dropping her off at daycare to say, Daddy drives a hot car. And I'm like, that is exactly right. <laughs> the label, the name that we put on something makes a difference in our perception of it. So this morning, I would like to talk just a little bit about what uh, the name of what we have traditionally called the missions committee is, and in the missions understanding that we have as a church. Several years before I arrived here, there was already kind of a, uh, a movement afoot to move away from words like committee uh, to a term like ministry teams. That kind of a move might be dismissed as mere semantics or words, but the reality is that many people do hear those terms differently. Whereas they hear committee and it's perceived to be a deliberative, drawn out, and boring quite often, right? And as one friend of mine once said when describing committee work, he said, you know, when all is said and done, usually a lot more gets said than ever gets done. Hopefully, I think, in changing the terminology and the name to ministry team, we're hoping to cast a more positive vision for folks of people working together for a common goal. One of the shifts that we have made in our recent months is meeting together as a missions ministry team is to now call that group the mission partnerships team the mission partnerships team. And I think it's important this morning for us to just walk through this for a moment of self-understanding, as well as for the understanding of our partners who are working in the gospel work in this city and around the world as well. A little history lesson that most of you are aware of to some extent or another. For many centuries in the West, the church has enjoyed a sort of privileged status in society. In Europe, that meant that state churches were supported by monarchies for the most part for centuries gone by. And what that meant was the support of the state for the church, that the monarchs supported them, that state taxes came in to support the state church as well. Virtually every single person born in most of the countries of Europe was baptized and thus became not only a citizen of the nation, but a member of the church as well at the same time. Even as America was born, the church wielded a tremendous influence in the formation of the culture of our nation. The church was a pillar, one pillar upon which this nation was built, and that is inarguable. The church, in a broader sense, has enjoyed this type of special status and honor since the day even Constantine was converted almost 2,000 years ago throughout the West. People will argue sometimes about whether this was a good thing or a bad thing, 
But it is inarguable that this is the history that we have received in the West. Now, it might sound overly dramatic or prisoner of the moment or myopic to say that in our day, in 2021, everything has changed. Maybe not everything. But for the church, many, many, many things have changed in a way that they have never been understood before in the United States of America and in the world. Barna Research recently reported that for the first time in American history, fewer than one half of those surveyed identified as Christian. For the first time in the history of the United States, some of you saw the blog that I sent out this week and it quoted another Barna Research poll that registered people from 2012 to 2020 in Charlotte, North Carolina. And during those intervening years, they were asked on both ends of that, have you attended church in the past month? In 2012, it was 77%. That's really good, isn't it, Scott? That's really good. Charlotte. Bible Belt. But by 2020, that number was 42%. A dramatic decline. For those of you doing the math, it's 25% in an eight-year period. That's falling off a cliff by any measure. And that was before the pandemic. Now, there are a lot of reasons, I think, that uh, we could give and investigate for the decline in church attendance and in religious engagement in general. Some of the church's wounds have been self-inflicted in different ways. Some have abandoned the scripture and the faith that has been handed down to us and been watered down to be more like uh, the world around us and the culture and receive its values. Others have been bound up with politics and greed and cover-ups of abuse and sexism. And the church has lost its way and has self-inflicted wounds in many corners. And in some ways, it does remind me of the year I spent in Belfast, Northern Ireland, which many of you know has its own religious and state history there with the entangling of church and state. And by the time I was there in 1997, 1998, after the troubles had been going on for over 25 years, many people simply had no use for the church anymore because they saw it more as part of the problem of the conflict than any part of the solution to it. And truly, I don't know how many of you have been in the UK or in Ireland lately, but so many of the beautiful buildings so much of the holy architecture of the cathedrals of those places now serve as tourist centers, restaurants, and pubs. They're not churches anymore. Is that where American, the American church is headed as well? What are we to do? In a moment like this, I am reminded that the Chinese symbol for crisis is a combination of two others, danger and opportunity. 
A crisis brings both danger and opportunity. And make no mistake, friends, the American church is at a place of crisis in many ways. It is a different era that we live in than that which has preceded us. Times have changed. But do we believe that any of this has taken God by surprise? Do we believe that God is in heaven looking down going, what am I going to do now? America's fallen off the wagon. We have to adjust our sights and our mindset because God has not been surprised and God's call on our lives has not changed and the good news that he gives us has not either. Part of the old way of thinking that we may have to transform in our minds is a mentality about missions, about the work of the mission committee. Part of that older mindset in traditional churches like most Presbyterian churches like Westminster and every church I've ever served in really is there's an unspoken understanding that we go to church and we support other people to go and do the mission. Kind of, don't, isn't that kind of what we assume? Traditionally, in a lot of ways, we go to church and we pay for other people to go and do the mission. We don't say it out loud like that, but that's the assumption that we live under, I think. The missions committee often in the past has acted like uh, more of a, the board of a foundation, a philanthropic organization to support those who are actually doing the work out there somewhere. Mission work was done by missionaries. Probably they were somewhere overseas working with people who didn't speak English and didn't know the name of Jesus Christ. That said, I do not diminish in any way the amazing efforts and commitment of those missionaries who have gone before us into all the world. The dedication and commitment of those people is something that we can learn from in our day and time as well. It's embodied in people like the missionaries from the Presbyterian missionaries, even from Scotland, who went to Ghana in the last century, the beginning of the last century. And when they went there, they packed their belongings in their coffins, for they never expected to return home. That's commitment. Most died within the first two years, but they planted the seeds of the gospel that have flourished into the, the church of, Presbyterian Church of Ghana today. The reality for us today, friends, is that the mission field isn't just somewhere out there across the water, but it is right in our neighborhoods. It's in our schools, it's in our businesses, it's on the fields where we play. Westminster is not just place for the holy huddle to gather on Sunday morning, but it is a missionary outpost of the kingdom of God, training and equipping those who are doing the mission of God where they are every day. Friends, we are the mission. We are at a moment in history when the church can no longer outsource the mission of God for someone else to do. It's a call for us for we who are the members of the body of Christ to be engaged in the work of the missional God. 
It is about whether we will indeed be those people who are inviting others to life in Christ as we have proclaimed our vision to be. Please hear me when I tell you, if the bad news is that not as many people in our nation and in our world and in our community are engaged with the family of God in this day and time, the good news is God has a solution. He has sent missionaries. And guess who it is? It's you and me working together as the family of God on the mission of God in the places where he has planted us. And this might be a shift in self-understanding for our church. It might be a dramatic shift in self-understanding for many of us who have grown up in a different era of church. It can be a pretty dramatic change, but it is one I believe that we must prayerfully and humbly engage. We must receive the mission for ourselves and engage it in our lives. One of my teachers from a distance through a lot of this has been a professor at Princeton Seminary named Daryl Guter. In particular, his work with other authors together in a book uh, compilation called The Missional Church. It's now 20 years old by this point, but it was prescient for our day. These scholars together proclaim that, quote, we have come to see that the mission is not merely an activity of the church among others. Rather, the mission is the result of God's initiative rooted in God's central purpose in his biblical activity. We have learned to speak of a God who is a missionary God and thus of the church as God's sent people, God's instrument for God's purpose. Truly, God does call us here to worship together on Sundays and Wednesdays and other days too. But the call of God sends us out into the world from this place to be salt and light, as Jesus said, in a world that is dark. Consider the places where you work and play and live the schools you attend and the friends that you have, the lunches you enjoyed this week and the cups of coffee. That's the mission. The restoration of all things. It's not just about our salvation as if we were the end of God's mission. We are also made into the instrument of God's mission as well. Too often as Presbyterians, I think, we might have assumed that the mission was somebody else's to deal with right? We like to fall back on the idea of predestination. So well, if God's going to save them, God's going to save them. I'll just, I'm just over here in the corner doing my thing. And that's part of the limitation of Reformed theology in many ways, if we're honest. It was founded in a time of Christendom when everybody was a Christian. So there's a missing sense of the mission of the church other than to fight against the Catholic church which was endemic in their time. That's part of our heritage that we've received. But in fact, if predestination is true, what difference does it make? Us Presbyterians might just say, well, we'll let somebody else do that mission stuff. We'll keep high quality minutes of our meetings and we'll keep the budgets in line. That's kind of who we are in many ways, right? We're the bookkeepers 
But we also have the opportunity that if, to engage as disciples of Jesus. And if we are going to do that in Charlotte, North Carolina in 2021, we must commit ourselves to not just being attenders or members or partners, but real disciples of Jesus Christ, fulfilling his calling for us in mission. We go from being a mission field to a mission force. Dallas Willard, in his, in his inimitable way, pointed to this reality many years ago in the American church. He said there's a leading assumption in the American church that you can be a Christian without being a disciple. We need to get clear in our heads, he writes, what, about what discipleship is. My definition, he writes, a disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. A disciple is not a person who has things under control or knows a lot of stuff. Disciples simply are people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. By that definition, are we disciples? Are we a church of disciples? Are we constantly revising our plans to align them with the plan of our Savior Jesus whom we say that we follow? That our greatest desire is to align our lives with his calling. Does that describe us? I think that's what Paul was saying in this opening salutation and greeting to the church at Philippi that we read today aligning themselves under the one who had called them. He says, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will carry it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Are we confident in that? The gospel is about what God is doing, not what I'm doing. It's not about us, but it is for us. It is about the one who began all things and will bring all things to their consummation in his own time, by his own power, and for his own glory. And the gospel is about the reality that he invites us to be a part of that. But we don't do it alone. We don't do it alone. We do it, as our vision statement says, lived together. And that living together means being present, breaking bread together, knowing one another's names, studying God's word together, praying with and praying for each other within the family of God here at Westminster on this corner as a missionary outpost. But it also means that we partner with people in this city and around the globe who are also engaged in the mission of God. When Paul writes to Philippi and he says, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel for the first day until now. This is a team sport. It's a team endeavor. It is not just saying, we'll leave the mission to them and we'll write them a check. And it's not saying we're going to do everything and they can do whatever they want. It's coming together for the sake of the mission of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing our mission with God in Christ by the power of the Spirit compels us to join arms with brothers and sisters around the city and around the world who are also engaged in following Jesus 
to the glory of God. Now, we have been blessed in unique ways as a church here at Westminster. We have been blessed in ways that we are more able to support our partners in ministry than some other people are able to. We give thanks to God for that. That's our, part of our part of being the body of Christ. Our mission partnership team is currently reviewing our partnerships prayerfully to review how God is calling us to be partners in this day and age. And as part of this process, they've articulated three priorities for local and international partnerships as well. The first is evangelism and church planting. The second are ministries of compassion and justice. And the third is Christian leadership development. That doesn't encompass every good work that is going on out there, but it does say we believe that in this season, this is who God is calling us to partner with for his glory and for his mission. But above all, I hope you'll take forward from this, and I will too, that when we hear the word mission, I pray that the first thing we think of is not someone somewhere doing something somewhere else. And I pray that when we hear the word mission, the first thing that we think of is not something with the word trip attached to it, to an exotic locale. But I hope when we hear the word mission, we hear the compelling invitation of Jesus to come and to labor in his vineyard for the glory of God, to share his good news in word and in deed on this corner and around the world, wherever it is that he has placed us. Amen. Let us pray. So God, today we come as people who understand that the world around us is changing, but the call of God and the good news of Jesus is not, nor has the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray for an awakening within us to be the church that you have created and called us to be, to be the followers and the disciples of Jesus that you have called us to be that we might not entrust your mission to someone else, but that we might engage it for ourselves because you have called us to such. And so, God, we will leave results to you. We will leave the culture to you. For your honor and glory, wherever you place us, God, may we be those who share your good news in word and deed to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Pastor Owen. If you'd like to find out more about our church or view video of the full service, visit our website, westminstercharlotte.org. We look forward to seeing you soon.